Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, Mark. Um, if you're a guest here today, um, if you're visiting, especially for this service, let me explain it quickly what is going to happen next. Um, because we believe that um, the words that Mark just read, the words on that little sheet are God's words, then we um, want to spend some time looking at them and thinking about them. My name's Josh, I'm on staff here, um, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about those, those words um, before I do that, um, I'm going to pray because I think we need God's help when we come to listen to what he says. So I'm just going to say a quick prayer before beginning. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words that we've had read. And we pray now that as we think more carefully about them, you would speak to us and change us so that we leave here different to how we came in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, for that reason, it might be helpful to keep that sheet um, with you. Have a look at it as we go along, because a lot of what I say is going to be based on this. Well, in 2024, our country is expecting to have a general election, which means that um, we can expect a whole load of politicians going up and down the country making promises you can expect some of them to go around saying what a mess the previous government have thrown us in, what deep darkness we're living in. But whichever party they're from, you can expect politicians to go around telling you what the world will look like if they're in charge, making promises, a vision of the better life we'll all have when we vote them in. And who you vote for, of course, was probably be partly decided by what your priorities are for the world of tomorrow. You might be thinking, do I vote for him or him or her? Do I want to live in a world where there's lower taxes? Or maybe vote for this one if it's going to mean that there's more money for health care, or th this one if it means that buses are going to run on time more often. And you'll have to decide what your vision of tomorrow is going to be as you vote for those people. Well, Whatever your vision of tomorrow, whatever your politicians say the world will be when they're in charge, I bet none of them sound quite so grand and ambitious 
as the passage that we've, the bit of the Bible that we've had read to us says. Uh, Because in the bit of the Bible that was read to us, God is making promises. Uh, He's making grand and ambitious promises. You could read it a little bit like a manifesto. We get a bit of context in the first section, um, verse 1, because he's speaking his promises to a particular couple of regions in ancient Israel. You'll see the words Zebulun and Naphtali there. There are some regions that he's making the promises to. And in short, what he says he's going to do is make a complete turnaround. There's the words in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, don't you think a few politicians wouldn't mind borrowing those words for their manifesto next year? He, He promises the very things, though, that not only ancient Israel are desperate for, but all of humankind is desperate for. Because in this, he promises joy, plenty, freedom, and peace. We're desperate for all of those things, and you don't need to look far to find how desperate we are for joy, plenty, freedom, and peace. Look at the news. There's misery, not joy. There's misery not just in hard places in the world, but misery of loneliness and depression and anxiety. People in rich countries taking their own lives, people in poor countries who feel hopeless. And yet into this, God promises joy. He says there in verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. We saw the children do a dance. They rejoice before you. And he promises plenty. And that's something we know we're in desperate need of today as well, in a cost of living crisis. When we meet people who are struggling to do their weekly shop or pay their bills, imagine hearing the words, you guys are going to rejoice as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. It's two different pictures of people coming into a lot of plenty. When you reap the harvest, you've got your food now for the next year. No worries that you won't be able to get any more. You're sorted. When the battle is over, the soldiers get to keep all the loot. It's a world of plenty. It's a world of security. And on top of that, God promises freedom. In verse 4, he talks about shattering the burden and the yoke of the oppressor. Can you imagine a world where people aren't trafficked? where nobody's exploited. Can you imagine a world where there's a fair wage for all, where nobody rules over other people just for a power trip? And he also promises peace. We saw Alfie throw the boot. Every warrior's boot used in battle is going to be fuel for the fire. The things you use for war are just going to be thrown on the tip. And aren't we desperate for peace? Isn't war the most pressing thing we see on the news And the most upsetting thing we see on our screens today. Well, here's the manifesto. All the deepest human needs met. Joy, plenty, freedom, peace. But this manifesto isn't a generic picture of an ideal goal in somebody's mind. It's a particular manifesto for a particular leader. Look at verse 6, if you've still got that sheet in front of you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. 
There'll be a leader who will accomplish all of this. Now, you might be thinking that that's quite a lot for one person to claim they can do. Can one leader solve all of those problems? Is it really humanly possible? Uh, in 2007, there was a taxi driver from Newport, and he was giving a speeding ticket for going too fast in a busy city street in his banged-up um, Vauxhall Cavalier, not a very flash car. He was caught speeding, but it made the news. And in an interview with the BBC, he said, I could not believe it. Oh, yeah, heard that one. I was a bit shocked because there was no way I was going that fast. Oh, yeah. Well, the reason it made the news, the reason he was so shocked when he got the speeding ticket was because it said he was clocked driving 420 miles an hour in a 30 zone. Well, the, when, he, when he appealed against that, the local police, they let him off because they thought, as we are thinking, they probably made a mistake because there's no way that it's humanly possible to get that bit of junk to do 420 mile an hour on... Sorry, that wasn't meant to have a laugh. Do you, precious weather come, sorry. <laughs> to get that lovely car going 420 mile an hour on a, on a um, residential road. Now, I don't know if you get that feeling with this manifesto. How can one person possibly say that they're going to do all of that? How is it physically and humanly possible for one person to, be, to have government of the world and say they're going to end all the wars. In fact, in verse 7, it goes further. It says there'll be no end to this kingdom. It says it'll he'll reign forever. It was only last year that we mourned the passing of the queen who's had the longest reign of any monarch in our country for 70 years. But let me tell you, 70 years isn't a scratch on forever. Could she reign forever? Could anyone reign forever? Ruling a kingdom, upholding perfect justice and righteousness forever, surely that's just as impossible as getting a Vauxhall Cavalier to travel at the speed of a jet engine. And if you're thinking that, you'd probably be right. Because we know, don't we, that we long for joy, for plenty, for freedom, for peace. But we know it's not actually possible for us to solve all those problems. You could get together all the, the most important um, world leaders in a G20 summit or whatever, however many numbers it is these days, and they can get together and, and look at all the ins and outs, the complexities of how we end poverty, how we um, sort out the troubles of the world. But we still can't sort it all out. We still can't deliver Joy, plenty, freedom, and peace. We can get the UN to be in every country in the world where there's war and try and broker for peace, to, to press for ceasefires, but we still can't get peace. No matter how much we work together, no matter how much we educate one another, no matter how much money we spend on solving these deepest human needs, you and I know, don't we, we can't humanly get the answers to these deepest problems. And that's why we're told in verse 6 about the uniqueness of this leader. For to as a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He'll be known as God. Our basic human needs and desires are only met when the person in charge is God. So this isn't a manifesto of simply a promise of of a better world further down the line. This is a promise that God will step in to make this happen. Well, that's a great hope. It's a ray of light in the darkness. Or at least it would be if you thought that sounded plausible. But I do get that while we still see wars on the TV and poverty on our streets, this might sound to you like a fairy tale, a fantasy, wishful thinking. We need to know, is God serious about pulling this off? Is God actually going to step into the world? Has he done it? Well, on the back of your uh, sheet that's got Isaiah 9 at the top, uh, there's going to be a reading now from John chapter 1. And as this is read, I want you to have a look at the sheet or prick up your ears to notice about when it says whether the light that is meant to be dawning has come into the world. So um, get that in front of you. I'm going to invite Beth to come up. Um, And she is going to um, read for us John 1, 1 to 14. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thanks very much, Beth. Um, There's an advert on TV for the National Lottery. Um, You may have seen it. Uh, If you haven't, don't worry. I'll explain how it goes. We meet these two people on a train. Um, They are complete strangers. They sit next to each other. And... um, They get talking, and it's clear very early on that there's a spark between them. And as their conversation reaches the romantic climax and they lean in for the kiss, the girl realizes that she's at her train stop and she has to get off. She rushes off the train, but they want to keep in touch. And so he says he'll give her 
his number. So he grabs a scrap of paper from his pocket and jots his number down on it and drops it out of the window. It lands on the ground and the girl picks it up. She goes home and we see how uh, she's kind of pining for him and um, she gets a little bit of uh, Mickey taken by her family. But then she decides she's going to phone this guy up. And she takes the piece of paper and she notices that the phone number is missing the last three digits. Now, if you watch the extended version, which you needn't do because it's an advert, so, um, but I did because I was planning this. Um, she tries to go through all the possible combinations of the three digits. 999 combination, uh, not a good idea. Um, she wants to find out this guy's phone number, but she can't. Anyway, she's kind of half given up, but she realizes that the guy told her that he'll be making the return journey on the same train on New Year's Eve. So as she's planning to go and, and wait for him on the platform, she's sitting in front of the TV. She's got his phone number on the little piece of paper. On the TV, there's the lottery. And she turns over the piece of paper, and she sees it's his lottery ticket. And wouldn't you know it, the numbers match. Now she's even more desperate to go and find him on the train platform. And we see her there on New Year's Eve. She's going to every platform at the station. Um, and eventually, she shouts out across the train station to get his attention. And they're delighted to see each other, but she's got news. You've won. Now, part of what captivates you about that advert is the idea that this man could have won the jackpot but not known about it. We're rooting for him. We're rooting for that couple because we hate the idea that he could have £20 million sitting there waiting for him. But he just goes on with his normal life, not knowing. As you watch that, you don't want him to stay in the darkness about this wonderful news. And I don't know if you've spotted that that's what this latest reading tells us has happened with God's manifesto and God's leader. Let's get to the next slide. This obviously has given up. Um, in a desperately dark world, this passage that was read for us says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In other words, the leader who brings that manifesto who will fix everything, he's coming into the world. And it says in this John reading, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It turns out that this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't something that was hopeful 700 years before Jesus was born and nothing came of it. The child that was promised, the child that was born to bring joy, plenty, freedom and peace. Well, God's word came true because those words that were spoken through Isaiah, 700 years later, they came true. God kept his promise and a child was born and he was called the son of God. He was called God with us. But very few people recognized who he really was. Because nobody imagined that to share his joy, the Son of God would enter our suffering. Nobody could have imagined that to bring plenty, the Son of God would become poor. Nobody imagined that to win freedom 
he'd be persecuted and made a refugee. Nobody imagined that to bring peace, he'd be hated and murdered. The light that was promised has come into the world. The light that was promised has dawned. The child that was promised has been born. God is serious about it, and he wants that to happen. But the world has not received him. And so for now, we don't see an end to the oppression and the wars. We are still waiting for the full, visible, worldwide expression of God's promise of joy, plenty, freedom, and peace. But there is light all the same in the darkness. And that light is brighter than you'd think. Verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Having seen that manifesto earlier, could you believe that there's anything better than a promise to bring joy, plenty, freedom, and peace? Could you believe that there's anything better than a manifesto and a leader who will bring that? Well, you see, the problem with a manifesto, which promises to fix all the problems, is that they promise to fix all the problems, but the problems happen again. Fixed problems break. You see, we could try to end poverty, and even if we could, we would still push people back into poverty again. Even if we could end injustice, people will still do bad things. Even if we could stop wars, nations would pick up their guns and go back to war again. Because the problem isn't poverty. It's not society that needs fixing. The problem is in our own individual hearts. We want to act selfishly and turn away from what God wants. Every one of us wants to do what we want and not to live under God's rule. Everyone wants that, from the prime minister to the reputable doctor to the hard worker to the crook and the thief. But the light that shines in the darkness when Jesus was born is that to anyone who wants to come out of darkness and surrender your heart to Jesus, he gives you the right to become children of God. And it's there that's the place of deepest joy, deepest plenty, freedom and peace. Let's put it this way. Imagine a 15-year-old boy who's caught stealing a car. And he owes, he's told he's got to pay 10,000 pounds. Now imagine someone's going to act in kindness to him. He meets a wealthy, a wealthy duke or a wealthy king who steps in on his behalf and says, I'll fix your problem. And he says, I will pay for the 10,000 pound debt. Wonderful to fix the problem. But compare that now with that wealthy king who says, actually, I'll adopt you. So it will not be paid by me for you, but everything I have is yours. And it will be paid out of, out of the lavish abundance that I give you by belonging to me. Can you see the difference between a promise to fix things or a hope to fix things and a promise to be children of God? The promise was never that God would fix things once and they'd go back the way they were. The promise was always this, 
that the boy who was born would make us children of God so that everything he has is ours. God loves you. He wants to share everything he has with you. And he started by sharing his son to be born in a manger, to be poor and persecuted, to take your place so that you can stand in his place before the father as a son. The light that shines in the darkness is that as his child, everything he has is yours. You get to share in his joy. You get to know a deepest security. You get to know the freedom, not only from evil outside, but freedom from evil inside. And you get to know a profound peace of comfort in life and death. Well, two things, finally, that I want to leave you with. Maybe two things that you might want to do in response to hearing this. Firstly, we've seen in that John reading that the Bible teaches there's a difference between the world who it says did not recognize him or receive him, and it's a difference between those and, and those who do receive him, those who believed in his name. And it leaves you with the question, do you recognize the Jesus of Christmas as the same child who is promised to bring transforming light in the darkness? Do you think that's who he is? Do you, do you wish that was true? Do you wish it was true that we could experience deep joy and plenty and freedom and peace? by becoming a child of God. Deep down, does that satisfy? It is true. Do you want to be someone who turns your heart away from darkness to know the light of being a child of God? Now, if this is the first time you've heard this, or even if you've been a Christian for a long time, Christmas is the perfect time to reflect on the amazing uniqueness of Jesus, to thank him, to pray to him, and to surrender to him whatever in your life wants to turn away from God. But if you are a Christian, then make this an extra reason to celebrate this year, that you are a child of God. You celebrate that because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, everything he has is yours. At Christmas, you do know, don't you, that family and health and happy memories, and presents, and stuff, and rest, and fun, they won't actually bring you joy, plenty, freedom, and peace. But all those things we crave are right there in the Father who loves you, and he delights to call you his. So at Christmas, you get to rejoice, like those rejoicing at the harvest, or like the warrior rejoicing in dividing the plunder. Because you can set your deepest hope on his fatherly goodness to you. To respond to this, I'm going to say a short prayer. But after that, we'll still keep a little time of quiet. Um, stay where you are. Just uh, observe the quiet um, until uh, the next thing begins. But I'll say a prayer, then we'll have some quiet. Dear Father, thank you that... 
You have a plan to redeem and restore everything, to shine light into our darkness. And thank you that that plan never was to sort things out politically, but to actually fix our own hearts. And we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that because of him, you open wide your arms and offer that we become your children. Please help us to marvel at that this Christmas.